Caution. Learning in progress. Welcome back to Smarter Every Season. My name is Tyler Hubert, and welcome to the podcast that is brought to you by the product support team here at Precision Planting and aims to make our listeners smarter every season. With me today is Paul Harms. Paul, how's it going? It's going excellent. Good morning, good afternoon, whenever you happen to find this. Yeah. Paul, you had a really good idea for an episode of the podcast. And as the weather starts to change, and I think there's a lot of people that are probably very grateful after a long cold snap here in central Illinois that the weather is, in fact, starting to change. That cold snap wasn't just selfishly central Illinois. Our friends down in Texas, all the way to the northeast and the northwest... (laughs) The Northwest is laughing at us because they're like, it wasn't cold. This is normal. What are you talking about? That's, that's exactly <laughs> true. Yes. But we are starting to warm back up a little bit, and that's what happens as the calendar gets a little closer to March, which is what's starting to happen. And what starts to happen, as somebody who grew up with a farmer in the household, is farmers start to get a little itchy as the calendar hits March. The sun stays up a little bit longer. The weather gets a little bit warmer. And that means that spring is getting close. And, Paul, you had a really good idea to grab some of the different members of our RM team, which, of course, stands for region manager that are spread out uh, across the United States, and kind of capture their thoughts on the best way to prepare or what some of their messages are to their dealer network in their area to prepare for spring. Is that right? Yeah, one of the... One of the lessons or learnings or habits that I've been very grateful to receive from some mentors and mentors and coaches along the way has been the mindset to step back and don't get so lost in the in the day to day or the everyday activities that you forget you you forget to see the tr- forest for the trees right you just you miss some of what's going on uh, and it goes back to our first episode with Justin Kaufman where we were talking about extreme ownership. There's a portion of that book that's dedicated to the mindset of don't get lost in the fog of war. You've got to be able to detach, step back, see which way the winds are blowing to know whether or not you're still moving forward on your mission and you're heading towards your goals. So I've always found that that process to be very valuable and helpful for me personally where I routinely set it into my habit of just stop, take a reassessment, make sure that where I want to be in the future is still the path I'm taking forward. All right, so what was your vision for this episode? So I wanted to have the conversation with the regional managers who are out in territory, who have a good visibility to risks and opportunities we could identify to help us all detach and get a better view ahead of time. So I wanted to reach out and get their point of view on things. All right, so what regions are we covering? So I try to get a reasonable coverage for North America. I do apologize to our international listeners. I... As little as it is, I do need to sleep some, so I just couldn't get a hold of everybody. So I tried to get reasonable coverage across the North America. I've got Justin Sullivan. Had a nice chat with him. Uh, he is in Stark, Louisiana, our farthest southeast regional sales manager. Uh, I couldn't get in the deep southwest. That opportunity missed, so I was able to get reasonably west across the United States, and I picked up a conversation with Ivan Lynch. He is our regional sales manager in western Nebraska. Moving north from there, I picked up North uh, Matt Grove. I picked up a conversation with Matt Grove, and he covers our Northwest Territory of uh, North Dakota, 
Montana, Idaho, Washington, and uh, Oregon. Kind of more central here to the heartland. Uh, I did get two very close, Eric Huber and Ken Sauter. Eric Huber covers the eastern Illinois region, east central Illinois. So he would cover Tremont here locally and then over to the Illinois border as high up as Chicago and as low down as, say, Decatur. I know that's not really low or south. Ken Sauter covers Indiana for us. Uh, He's been with us a long time. Part of the reason why I was so comfortable having both Eric and Ken on the conversation, while they weren't geographically spread, the the way they approach a problem is. So mindset was also a very um, strong detail I was hoping to capture in the conversations. Lastly, in the farthest northeast is Sean Livingston, our lone Canadian participant. So hats off to Sean, who joined us, and give us a little bit of visibility to more days away and some other concerns he may be facing or we all may be facing, but he's vocal on. Okay, so tell me about some of the questions you had for these guys. So I started the conversation with each of them, asking them how many days until planting their region was. That ranged from tomorrow, in in Sullivan's case, <laughs> to um, I think Ivan phrased it as two full moons. I think he was referring to about 60 to 70 days. So oddly enough, Nebraska had a longer start date expected than our northern territories, and that's due to more specialty crops being planted earlier uh, with Matt Grove and Sean Livingston's area. After kind of framing up the the mindset of the number of days till they drop the, the green flag. I wanted to ask them, what are the risks that they could identify or that they see coming around the corner? So you know, for our dealers and our growers that are out there that may not always be able to see winds changing or have a, have a bird's eye view on everything, I was hoping our regional managers could help point that in. And I would love to play the full conversations because it was a lot of fun to chat with them. Uh, but six conversations with chatty sales guys, minimum of 20 minutes each. Uh, we didn't want to take that long. So I'm trying to summarize it. Chatty sales guys, it's your words, Paul, not mine. So <laughs> one of the first questions that you had for these guys was about risk. Can you summarize for me? You're going to play some of the highlights, right? Some of the some of the uh, answers that you, you really liked. What was kind of the resounding answer was there kind of a theme to their answers uh, or were they kind of different risks based on different regions yeah so both the risks and the opportunities i did follow up with the opportunities and i i gotta go back to the chatty comment i was half of that conversation so i'm just as guilty yeah i can believe that okay so <laughs> yeah, it was it was on both sides of the coin of what are the biggest risks and then what are the biggest opportunities and i'll f- I'll share with the listeners. I did not fair warn them these conversations. I called them out of the blue. Said, "Do you have ten minutes?" They said, "Yes." All of those conversations became twenty or thirty minutes, and we played it off the cuff. I wanted to see what was on top of mind for them. So, risks and opportunities were the focus of the conversation. The first risk that uh, was probably the most common among them, and and it's very, we're very tactical, we're very product focused. Most common answer I heard back on risk was Gen three software. We have a significant changeover in software from our 2020, our production version software from the model year 2020 to the production year 2021. That has some some configuration and some complexities around updating. It's not the end of the world, but if you're not prepared for it, it can mean more time spent at each location and some hesitations or questions on completing the process if you're not prepared for it. So that was probably highest on their mind of, are we are we prepared for that? And both... 
Eric Huber and Sean Livingston both commented on that. And I'd like to share, um, let's, let's dive into Eric's comment first. Yeah. So I think to my dealers in, in this geography, and I think this goes for a lot of geography, um, from a, a technical standpoint is success with gen three, uh, software updates going to the 2021 version of software. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of flexibility with it. Uh, but there's also going to be a lot of time that it's going to take to get in and get this transition over. We're going to have to be a little bit more detailed in our approach as we do it and try to do our best to make sure that we reach each grower that does have that Gen 3. The the power of the software, I think, is great, um, but we've got some potential for pain points if we're not calculated in how we go about it. And so. I think we're going to have to be somewhat calculated in how we teach customers, but then we're going to have to be more hands-on for a season in actually getting those software updates done. So I would say that's, that's probably the first piece. So that was Eric's comment on the Gen 3 software. I thought that was pretty, pretty valuable. The other person that really gave some good insight on it was Sean Livingston. And let's listen to him now. Well, you know, with the COVID challenges, uh, one of the biggest, hurdles that I think we have to overcome is is monitor training. Um, you know, very excited to use the new 2021 uh, software. It looks awesome and, and great to set up. But the dealers need to keep in mind that, you know, if, if you have 15, 20 monitors out there to get them to the new system, that's going to take a little bit of time and, and work because we can't have those monitor trainings. So that would be number one, is uh, is get the monitors up to date and configured so that we're, we're ready to roll for that grower. Um, and, and, you know, looking at, at how those planters need to perform. So that'd be the first one. All right, so we've heard a couple answers where guys outline some of the risks around Gen 3 and Gen 3 software. Were there any other, like, was there a next uh, highest risk that they laid out? Yes. Um, I'm going to lump a couple of them together, but they're basically grower behavior. <laughs> okay. I'm interested to see where this goes. <laughs> you have my attention. Yeah. So uh, it's best to kind of lead, get, share some of the lead-ins on there. Let's, let's jump to the conversation with Ken Sauter where he was really focusing on, and I'll, and I'll encapsulate it, but it's about procrastination. So... Uh, listening with my conversation with Ken in your conversations with your dealerships and the growers there, what are the biggest risks that you see between now and then that they should be aware of and, and try and identify and clear out of the way? I think the the greatest risk we have is, you know, when we talk about these growers that we, we all have this handful of growers that like to procrastinate and this is not going to be a year for procrastination. Uh, Let's, let's be honest, when I look at planter repair parts, disc blades, uh, uh, seed tubes, uh, things like that, uh, they're going to be getting into short supply for the good quality uh, equipment manufacturers. So uh, do you have those all on hand? Are you ready for that? Uh, are you ready for that push? Ken gives us a pretty good challenge there on, on not procrastinating and doing this standard human delay the flip side of that, Sullivan, who I you know I mentioned earlier, days till planting or setting the mindset, Sullivan's was basically tomorrow. He had his neighbor, all of his tractors and planters and tillage tools all set out in the front yard, waxed up, loaded with seed, ready to go. 
taking his picture, posted it on Instagram, whatever habit or routine he was, and he was looking at possibly putting seed in the next day. And this is before this last round of frigid cold that did touch all the way down there. So Justin's concern was the exact opposite of procrastination. His concern was guys getting into the field too early, being too aggressive. So let me share that portion with you. Yeah, so I'd say a lot of my dealers, you know, in the Mississippi and Arkansas area, they're going to they're gonna push it out, you know, mid-March, uh, whereas I was saying some guys may push middle of February. But the biggest risk I see is just getting in the field too early and, and seeing that cold snap come through. You know, I'm looking at the radar right now and, and here in start, uh, Friday of next week, it's supposed to be a high of 29 degrees and a low of 16. So if we were to, you know, have something like that come through as planters are rolling, it could, it could really hurt us. Yes. Seed does not like to sit in the ground at that temperature. No, cold and wet. and It's a scary thing. So I like to, I like to plant when it's warm, uh, plant when the conditions are right, which we get antsy. We get excited. Farmers, man, we want to get in the field. We, we like the smell of dirt. So that was two sides of the, of the same coin of, of grower behavior. But Justin's was much more tied to environmental. And, and that kind of leads into the, the next risk. Um, this is very regional. So, but it was unique enough I did want to share this. This is our comment. This is a portion of the conversation with Ivan. And he's talking about the scenario out there where we have uh, water concerns and irrigation. And I thought it was very illustrative and important enough that I share the conversation, even if you are not from his neck of the woods. Go ahead and give a listen in to how Ivan and Western Nebraska has some concerns on where they ended last year and how they're going into this year. You know, some of the, obviously there's a ton of different kinds, right? I think one that stands out after this fall uh, is when we really don't have anything to control. Uh, I think our final water this last fall was a little bit, was called a little early. Um, our soil profile is pretty well empty coming into winter. And it's not been, there's not been a tremendous amount of snow across the state. Uh, in spots there has been, uh, but out west where there's not enough irrigation to truly build a profile like we keep it anyway in some of those lighter soils. But uh, I think one of our risks is going to be what spring moisture looks like. And if we get it all lowered up now, we know it could end up being, uh, could it being kind of a wet spring if we, if it all comes now. So Paul, of the answers that we've heard so far, I've heard a lot of concerns or maybe risks going into the season. Are there any like, in-field concerns, like when the planter actually drops and, and grower takes off, concerns around that stage of the game. Yeah, I had a, an awesome piece of the conversation with Eric Huber, uh, Eastern Sales, Eastern Illinois sales rep, and he commented about the urgency during planting and the, the mindset. And I think you even phrased um, John Wooden. I think it's the old John Wooden quote of be quick but don't hurry. Yeah. That, that encapsulates it perfectly. Let's let's listen to Eric frame that up for us. And where I learned a lot of this was from spending time in the two-row planter uh, tent at PTI where we had closing systems lifted up and we had slight changes in the soil environment 
and, and you could see how the fur would change with just a little bit of change in moisture or just a little bit of change in density. And so um, you see how quickly a furrow can turn poor when it's a little bit dry and clotty, but we can fix it if we're aware by just putting some more pressure down on those gauge wheels uh, and, and firming it and holding it up. But then we start to get into situations where it starts to get a little tacky, and now we start to run the risk of a trench that's going to be harder to close and roots that are going to hard, have a harder time penetrating and getting out and then start to reduce ear set uh, because of that. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's been fun to get out and teach that. One thing that I've been doing uh, in my planner meetings as I start to do this is I'll toss up a picture of three different furrows and without prefacing it, I'll say, is this a good furrow or a bad furrow? And then I'll just have a conversation with them. Well, this is, this is, uh, this is good. Okay. Well, tell me why. Well, it's because I can see that, you know, the trench is open. It's clean. It's a clear path to the bottom. The sidewalls don't look slick. I can see where the, where the gauge wheel is, is just firmly pressing up on top. Throw up another picture and, and it's a dry seabed and guys immediately say, no, okay, that's no good. Well, tell me about why. Well, it's caving in. Well, it's this out of the other. And what's fun is to be able to show that guys know what they're looking for they just simply don't look for it because we get in so much of a hurry um, and, and we're, we're wanting to lower our blood pressure just by moving the tractor uh, without really thinking through things. All right, Paul. So does that summarize all of the risks? Yeah, I, th- I think we've gone down the ladder or down the downhill far enough. Let's, let's look at some, some upside, some opportunities, some of the things to get uh, excited about, not nervous about. So did you frame up the question around what opportunities lie ahead for us this spring? Or maybe what opportunities lie ahead in your region a certain way, or did you just come out and ask it just like that? I was pretty blunt with it of we just got done talking about all of the things that were risks to our uh, our dealerships or our, our farming operations. What is something that the remaining days that if we hustle, if we're intentional, if we're prepared for, what's an opportunity we can take advantage of to set us, up, set us apart? Any common answers? Yeah. The first and, and top of the answer was probably all revolving around markets, but not exactly as I expected. Um, Sauter, uh, Ken Sauter probably encapsulated it the most cleanly, and uh, let, me, let me play that part of the conversation. I, I think, uh, you know, as we're sitting here today and, and we, we've all kind of lost track of the rebound in the market prices, so we're sitting here with that that upper $4, $5 uh, price range. And, uh, you know, a mistake when it's 250 corn is a whole different uh, value than what it is when it's, when it's $455 corn. So when we talk about the opportunities that lie ahead of us here, uh, you know, at Winter Conference, we focus so hard on what I call that 12-12, uh, getting stretched from a 12-hour, uh, an additional 12, from 12 to 24 with a 12% yield clause. So are my growers aware of that? Have I educated them to that direction? Are they comfortable to understand that? And uh, have, have we have we promoted that to my grower team that we're out there and we're, we're going to be doing these flag tests and we're going to show them exactly what that cost is? So as we think that opportunity, you know, you guys need to be thinking already here. Summer sales are just around the corner and uh, we got to be positioned that, I have my growers looking for the areas that is their greatest yield limiting differences. So identify that, get set for that stage because uh, 
you know, we're, we're yeah, let's be honest, we're only 120 days from uh, sprayers running and, and uh, you know, heading that direction. So one of the conversations or one of the, one of the parts of the conversations that came out was, and this was consistent amongst all of the regional sales managers, was the dealer value and precision planting's value, or let me say our profitability, our dealership's profitability is directly related, directly linked to grower profitability. In other words, the more value and more dollars we can bring into a grower's operation, uh, one of the farmer's operations, the better it is for our dealership, right? So we are intrinsically motivated to make their lives better and to yield more for them. Yeah, I mean, from a common sense standpoint, a bushel of corn is worth more to you at $5 than it is at 3 Yeah, and that's where Ken was really driving at in where we can actually do more dollars of good in an up market. We can provide more end value, more return on the investment for a grower in an up market than in a down market. Yeah, and I mean, that absolutely makes sense. It's funny, too, because we kind of get into the habit, too, like in a, in a down market, which is kind of what we've gone through in the last few years. Uh, our focus is so much around like how we can help growers grow more corn, right? Improve or increase the number of bushels that they have. We're just as valuable, as you've said, if not more valuable in an up market. Yeah, it's a, it's an inner, it's a differentiation between in a down market, the value there is we're able to add more bushels of yield into the system. So even at a depressed value, we have more of them to sell. That's the big win, and that's the gain there is we're, we're looking at yield advantage. If it's not going to be worth as much, you better grow a lot of it. Yeah, it's a commodity. That's part of, part of the function there. Yep. However, as that commodity goes up in price, now the, we're adding more yield still, but that yield has a greater value to me in dollars. That was, that was the, the conversation. That was where I hadn't thought of it you know, in that aspect or in that respect uh, and that was that was the joy of the conversation for me with Ken is he just looks at life differently. And you can argue it pros and cons of that conversation either way. It was more about that's why I love having these conversations is because it forced me to look at it from a different lens. Did any of the other region managers call out commodity prices? Uh, yes. And and they were all very optimistic. You know, it's nice to be turning the corner and to see some higher market prices. That was all all very positive, and I think those are pretty straightforward. I, I didn't want to belabor the point with that any farther. I really enjoyed Ken's turn on the on the on the thought process. Then, what were some of the other opportunities that you heard? The one that I wasn't expecting was goals. It, it aligned perfectly. I, I I fed these guys none of the prep or what was in my mind. I only led them with what are the risks be before planting, what are the opportunities before, and. Most of them touched on goals in one way or another. Let me share with you Matt Groves' approach to that first. As we get to, you know, that 30 days before planning is, okay, do a mental check. Where are we at bandwidth-wise? Uh, are we wrapping up our installs? Do we have a game plan to make sure that we're, we're green lighting and optimizing all those machines um, as they go to the field and, and giving them the best possible customer experience we can. That's really, really the two things that, that are highlighted between now and spring is let's make sure we're focused and not lose excitement, but make sure we cover what we have right in front of us. You know, 
plan A is best case scenario. You know, we got it kind of ironed out. We got guys scheduled. We've been communicating with them, kind of know tentatively when we're going to contact them to see when they're going to the field. And then, you know, plan B, okay, say the, the weather changes and we shift and we have to be very dynamic and, and call an audible. What does plan B look like? Because now I went from starting up a few guys a day to I have, you know, 15 growers going to the field all in the same day. Do I have the people in the office? Do I have myself? Do I have, you know, a, a parts department guy or any of those? Do I have those at the ready and along with the help of our you know, product support teams internally to execute green lighting and optimizing those machines as quickly as and efficiently as possible? And then, you know, that can, that can tailor down, you know, plan C and, and D as we look at, you know, cedar starting up along with planters and starting to look at, you know, other granular applications down the road. So really having a solid plan and a vision and making sure that everybody is informed of that and very transparent with your employees is, is key. So what that actually kind of made me think of was back to Extreme Ownership, the book Extreme Ownership, um, Commander's Intent. Mm-hmm. I'm going to set a clear goal for my operation, and I am going to make sure that everyone in the organization knows what our goal is for this year. And so if you have a maintenance situation or you have a planter down situation or whatever is going on on the farm, and I, the leader, cannot get there, you can't get a hold of me on a cell phone, and you need to act, you've got what our goals are for this year, right? You can take an action or a behavior that aligns with those goals. That was kind of what Matt made me think of with, with that response. What do you think? Uh, I think I got a tear in my eye for you referencing a book. I, I, you know how I am with books. I love it. I can't. You've made an impact on me, Paul. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> I'm so happy. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. No, and and it and it goes along with that same mindset or same theme I got from a couple other regional sales managers on setting goals and being intentional on where they were going. Uh, probably the 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 one conversation that I loved the most, the the next most after that one, was uh, Sean Livingston, and he actually went through the thirty sixty ninety uh, planning process with his dealerships recently. Uh, and that thirty the the concept behind the thirty sixty ninety is. You're going you're gonna to start at either end, 30 or 90, and you're going to lay down the goals. Where do I want to be in 90 days? What will success look like? What will, what will have been a checkered flag? Where am I going to be um, in a win category in 90 days having done X, Y, and Z? Okay. Looking back from that, 60 days from now, if I'm going to make that target, what do I have to be doing at 60 days to have hit that target at 90 days? Working that back. What's my 30-day target to hit my 60-day target to hit my 90-day pro- target? It just helps all of my day-to-day activities because I can't, I can't think of everything between now and 90 days. But if I know that what I'm doing today lines up with 30 days, I know that'll keep me on track to hit my targets. I've done a few 30, 60, 90s in my past, and what always ends up happening is you know kind of where you want to be in 90 days. You have that in the back of your mind. But when you actually put pen to paper on it, you start to realize that if you want to hit that 90-day goal, there are things you have to be doing at 30 days. And that's a bit of a wake-up call. Yeah. It, it drives some urgency and, and some tie to it. So let's hear Sean's conversation around that. I think right now our parting conversations always finish on planning forward. Um, you know, back in, in the first part of January, I did a great exercise with my dealers and challenged them all 
on paper to put a 30, 60, 90 day plan together. And we're now coming to the end of that 30 days. So because of COVID and dealers having to react to different situations last year, I truly feel that if we have a set plan going forward, it makes our reactions faster and more methodical. So all the time, my my conversations ending right now are, okay, you've captured this, you've done this. What's the next step forward? What do we need to look at for the next 30 days now? And, and just keep that ball moving. And it will help us overcome challenges set in place this year you know before you before we got on the phone here i was telling you how uh certain parts of my territory have um curfews set in place certain parts of my territory i i can't even travel in so i needed to be prepared for that to have success or else i'm going to be behind the eight ball uh right from the start so I love. I looked, oh, I looked at it. Like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. As I say, I look at it like this: is is preventative planning. You know, picture this: it's a beautiful morning, seven o'clock in the morning. You're at the lake. Nice little mist coming off. You grab your your son, your spouse, whatever. You throw the boat in the water. You go out. You bait the hook, you throw the line. Now do you fix the hole in the bottom of the boat? <laughs> right? Yeah, it'd be going on we such an awesome and idyllic picture there. And and then you killed it with the, the sinking boat. <laughs> yeah, but if we don't look forward and we don't do that preventative work, we react to situations and it's a lot easier in life to try to be proactive as much as possible. So that was a good download from Sean and I'd like to lead in from that we had some great goal planning and and setting clear goals I'd like to shift towards what some of those overarching or the longest term goals of a precision planning dealership and and us with precision planning is on driving or enabling our partners to become the planner expert to 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 be that trusted advisor to our customers so we can kind of help enable greater success all the way down the chain. And that's, and that's what keeps us going. And we know that's what keeps our dealers going. Yeah. This is a good piece of advice too, because it's going to live on much past this year, right? I don't know what commodity prices are going to be next year, but I think this message is something that we as a company have always tried to embody and provide. And so this is something that is part of the precision planting legacy, if you will. So uh, if we're ready, let's go ahead and play that. Yeah. Uh, this this quote is from a conversation, part of the conversation with Matt Grove. You know, I think I think what really keeps me up at night is is just making sure, you know, that we can help everybody possible to give them the best experience. You know, that's when you think of what drives you. One of my main motivations is, is helping people, and I look at the volume of business we do um, in North America and specifically in the Northwest all the people that we are honored to help influence and progress and build their operation um, to a higher level and, and increase yield and, and performance all the way around, making sure that they get the best customer experience and making sure that 
you know, we take away or mitigate any of the angst or operational questions they have of a new product. So I, I really spend a lot of time on looking at that strategy and that vision to to work with dealers on their bandwidth and, and how they're going to execute. So making sure we can help everybody is what, what keeps me up at night. So I know we're getting uh, a little lengthy on time, but I did want to recap with one more piece out of my conversation with Justin Sullivan. He part of my my eagerness for this is he did reach back to one of our previous conversations with Jason Webster and the timing of corn and beans going in the ground and just that opportunity that we can utilize some of our learnings that we share here and some of your regional experience to be that trusted advisor. So let's hear, let's hear Justin's frame of view on that. You know, I think being that trusted advisor, you know, trying to pull the reins back on some guys. Um, personally, I, I might would try to push somebody maybe to plant a field of soybeans first and just see what happens. Um, you know, have that conversation with growers. Uh, and, and I think that's one of our, the biggest opportunities a dealer has is just, just being there, being that advisor and talking to a grower about planning when conditions are right, you know. Um, I, I think that's a huge opportunity for our guys and, and something that some of our dealers are really capitalizing on and that growers are really looking to our dealers now for some advice on, on things like that. Back in the studio again with Tyler, and those two conversations really encapsulated for me the general mindset of if we want to earn our customers' business, if we want to grow our own business, we've got to bring value to our end customer. One of the ways we're going to do that, and the key way we're going to do that, is becoming that trusted advisor, being an asset to them through our experience, our knowledge, and our drive to keep getting better. Yeah, the way you have said that is value, right? And value is something that betters my business, right? Yeah. Something that challenges the way that I, the way that I think, the way that I act to make me more profitable or to have more time back, right? Things of that nature. Something with a positive value means that I'm willing to place an expenditure on it or ex- spend my money or time or effort on it because I get more in return than what I gave. Now, Paul, I have been around precision planting long enough to know that you didn't call up these six region managers, ask them three questions and hang up the phone. There had to be some other conversation, laughs, tidbits that were shared. So that could be another podcast, I'm sure, in and of itself. There were some great blooper reels that will <laughs> never make it past the cutting floor. Then <laughs> that's probably the way that it should be. Yeah. Is there anything that as we wrap up, there were takeaways you'd like to share? Yeah, and it ties in with that trusted advisor because sometimes that trusted advisor isn't simply the, the guy who brings new information. Sometimes it can be the only clear-headed one in the room who has the common sense or the courage to stand on a point and ask, quest, or demand something is done in a certain way. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to play this last clip. It was a blooper reel conversation with with Ivan. We went down some rabbit trails, and it's just humor, and it was a bunch of us cackling in the background. They're commonly doing a pivot on 160 acres there, and you can get them in all sizes, but his focus is on that 160 acres. Math would work the same in any size field, but his approach was, if I'm going to put millions of seed out, millions of seeds out in that, section of field. How many times am I actually getting out and digging? If I get out and I'm a, I'm a standard operator 
I'm going to dig a row. I'm going to find five seeds in a row. I'm going to evaluate those five seeds. Tell my, you know, tell myself I'm doing a good job. Pat myself on the back. If I'm really encouraging, I'm going to do that half a dozen times. All right. So that's, that's 30 seeds that I've evaluated. And I feel like I have done my job and understand what the, what the implement is doing in the field. His challenge back was of the millions of seeds that are going into that field, you're going to make a decision based off of 30. That's kind of like looking out the window once and then driving for 10 hours thinking you know where you're going. You've used another good analogy there. What's, don't you have an analogy about your kids? Yes. Let the kids go play. Check on them five minutes after you put them in the room, and then don't look after them for another two hours. Yeah. <laughs> See if it's everything in that room is in the same state two hours later. That's exactly right. Yeah. So basically his challenge was for the level of the investment that we're putting in and the seed value, the machine cost, the inventory drop, uh, the fertilizer, all of the investment that we're banking on to be harvesting six months from now, darn well better be doing it right. And if we're not going to challenge ourselves or force ourselves to do the ground truthing and to do the validation in the soil, we're missing some significant value and opportunity. And that was, that was where he stopped it. Now we did double back and say, there is an opportunity to ground truth and validate sensor data and allow the sensors to give you that confidence or that knowledge as you go. But his, his encouragement was still... Take the time, get down on your hands and knees, say a prayer, find the seeds, and uh, say another prayer, <laughs> get, get the field in right. Yeah, there's an old military term that I think goes trust but verify. Yes. That I think applies very well here. Yeah, and, and, and I tried very hard to not make this very product-specific. Product That's why I was kind of shocked at the beginning of the conversations. They all started with Gen 3 specific. I wanted to get them a little larger focused in the in the dealership, in the planting process, you know, I, I was actually expecting more of this, but I only got one that said in the operations. It was Eric Huber talking about slow is smooth. Uh, John Wooden quote, quick, but don't hurry. And his and his mindset was around that, not the first day of planting, because most people are a little more cautious and, and intentional the first day. It's their 11th or 12th day of planting, the third week of planting, whatever that process, however long that time frame is, it's not the first day. It's towards the end. How bad did you allow performance to drop on the last day of planting due to urgency? When I was a kid and I was trying to get my license, my parents used to tell me, and I, I don't know if there's a statistic that goes with this or if this was just like parental wisdom that they were just trying to impart on me, but uh, the highest amount of accidents happened close to home. And it was about like, yes, you may be going a mile and a half down the road to your grandma and grandpa's, but you're going to wear a seatbelt. And you're going to stop at the yield sign at the intersection by their house. Don't blow through it because you've done it hundreds of times. And so your comment made me think of that of don't let the accidents come because we get on autopilot and we've been, we're close to done. We've been here before. Everything seems to be working. I just need to power through and get this baby into the shed. I'm going to rabbit trail this. This is going to be awesome. Okay. Go for it. All right. So have you ever been driving in a new area looking for a, a house you've never been to in a neighborhood you've never been to before and you reach over and you turn down the volume on the radio all the time okay do you know why you do that for me it's it's about concentration okay why do you need what what is the radio doing that's breaking your mind's ability to see numbers on a building 
for me, it's pulling my focus. At least, <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this, <laughs> but for me, I do feel that way. I do feel that like if there's any background noise, if there's a song that, frankly, I could sing along to, or for me, I do that subconsciously. It's about giving 100% of my focus to my surroundings. And I don't feel like I do that if the radio's on. But you drive home every day and you listen to the radio, no problem. Why is it not a problem to find your way into your own driveway, only into someone else's? That's routine. Ah, so, what you, and you're 1,000% correct, is your mind, your brain has only a certain capability to process a certain amount of input at one time. We can only process through enough stimuli at one time handle enough situations so the brain does a whole bunch of really cool things where it makes assumptions and and just compresses yes i've seen this before don't focus here use your brain power elsewhere sing along with the song right you've driven into this driveway a thousand times you can sing along when you're in a new area where that driveway isn't the same and the numbers aren't in the same location where you don't know you're taking in a whale load of new stimuli so it takes more of your brain power to process through what you're encountering. The reason I go down that rabbit trail is at the beginning of spring, it's new stimuli. We haven't done it in so many years. We are 100% focused and you're most likely to have that radio turned down the first pass of the field, the first pass of the first field of the season, the last pass of the last field of the season. You probably have Netflix going on in the corner <laughs> on a hotspot because you just, you're just on autopilot. Right, because you've done enough acres, enough that your brain starts to say this is routine. And the challenge there is, don't let our brains say this is routine, because I'm guessing everyone's got enough soil variability out there that no one acre is routine. Yeah, but if you are going to let your mind drift, listen to Smarter Every Season. I love what you did. <laughs> <laughs> I have no way to, to, to roll with that other than to say thank you for your time, and we do appreciate your listenership. Um, hopefully you're getting some of this out of this. I know we are in these conversations. With that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. As Paul said, thank you so much for listening. For Paul Harms, I'm Tyler Hubert. We'll talk to you next time.